spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I haven't dreamed of that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I haven't dreamed of waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Hi, it's Andian from Spoken Label. A spoken Label was originally set up at the beginning of 2016 and records show it started off really as a one-off podcast chatting to writers, poets and artists. Over time, it became monthly, then weekly and occasionally nowadays it goes on that to a more regular basis. To date, I've done over 330 sessions and I'm always looking for new poets, writers, artists, singer-songwriters, general interesting creative people to come onto the podcast. You can find this on all the usual networks over Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podbay and dozens of others. But it does have a central database of spoken label, which is all one word, dot bandcamp.com. Obviously now, to help me with the running costs of this podcast, I'm always grateful for any kind of donation to assist me with it. You can either do the donation through the Bandcamp page by putting in a fee to download one of the free podcasts, or send it over to my PayPal to aen1mpo at yahoo.co.uk. My email address again is aen1mpo at yahoo.co.uk. Enjoy the podcast. Take care. Bye. Spoken Label. Hi, guys. Andy N. Spoken Label. Back in the house on a Sunday evening. Need to state today before we start, there is fireworks going off in the background at the moment. So it's not bonfire, it's just local feral youth <laughs> letting them off the right and centre. So if we get a bit of background noise tonight, I do apologise. Now, we are over to America today, where hopefully this gentleman won't have that problem with fireworks I'm talking to. But I've got a yeah. wonderful, I've got a wonderful gentleman with me here. And I have really, really enjoyed his book in the last few days. Originally from the Kansas City area, but now Northern California. And it's a wonderful gentleman called Ed Davis. Now, Ed, obviously, before we get on to your book, we're here to talk about today. Tell us a bit about yourself, first of all, as a person. Where did all your creativity come from? Wow, uh, that's a great question. And I'm not sure anyone ever understands exactly where their creativity comes from. For, for me, I think writing has been a desire to share. Um, mm. I mean, that that's, you know, to want to take experiences and capture them and share them with others. I think that's where the biggest piece of it's come from. Uh, my cr best creative writing probably started writing his letters to, oh, yeah. to my wife who has been married to me. Thank God for 46 years now. She really, oh, uh, wow, mate. Oh, well done, mate. Well done, mate. Without, yeah. They definitely yeah. say you get, you get, you get less than murder nowadays. 
<laughs> my, my mother and father have been married now for 51 years so that's, that's fantastic that's, it's an excellent achievement I'm well, well done for you mate straight away so right. so uh, do you say obviously you, you first started writing with all your letters to your wife and really wasn't it so yeah it, it's I started uh, riding freight trains when I was very young uh, I needed actually to go to the UK uh, with a friend mm. and I was in a new relationship with Jan um, and I had discovered seeing the country riding, riding freight trains, basically across oh, Canada. Yeah. And somehow I was writing letters every chance I got to this uh, woman I was in this new relationship with. And I had wow. this new way of seeing the country. And I brought those things together in the letters. And it was sort of like alchemy. It created something new that I wanted more of. And so that was really when I knew I wanted to be a writer. Yeah, I know. People, obviously, we'll talk about your book today. Well, we have, that was a jump straight into this, basically, because we've we kind of led straight into which is great. Now, it's your book called The Last Professional, which is about that sort of, those sort of days, because I've read interviews already where you're basically saying this book's been building for 40-odd years, really, hasn't it? So, yes. yeah, did you know, obviously, when you, when you went on these freight trains at the time, 40 years later, you were bringing a book out about it? had no idea. Um hmm. It's just there was something sort of mesmerizing to me about seeing the country that way. And I knew I wanted to capture it. I was riding at the time of the very last of the old time hobos, the guys who had been oh, yeah. riding oh, in the steam wow. days. And I could see it was a vanishing way of life. And so I knew it was a I wanted to capture that that I was experiencing. And it was also a great backdrop for a story, a good, you know, a real drama about characters confronting their past and clinging to their vanishing way of life. So I started it in a boxcar about 40 wow. years ago. Wow. Yeah. Why is wow. Yeah, go ahead. No, sorry, I'm interrupting you. Yeah. No, but like it's people read the book and it is a, a fascinating book. It really is. You can see like, even though the it's one of those sort of books where it is fiction. Well, you can you can tell it's fiction, but also it's the backdrop of it is you can tell that you've lived it straight away with that. So, what got you into wanting to travel on the freight trains in the first place and like that? Uh, that's a good story. Uh, I was very young. I was seventeen when I went to work at uh, the largest uh, hospital for the de developmentally delayed in in the United mm. States. Um, I was a psychiatric technician. A good friend from high school was also doing the same thing. We shared in common that we did not know our fathers. And ah. he, he got a line that he might be able to find his dad on an island, the Isle of Mull, off of Oban, up off in, in Scotland. And so we said, we worked for two years at the state hospital. We cashed in our chips. We said, well, let's go see if we can find your dad. And so we got round trip tickets from Kennedy to Heathrow, 200 bucks, open-ended tickets. Those were the days when you could do that. But we were going to need to get to Kennedy. We had to go across the United States. We figured we'd hitchhike. Uh, that was, it was wow. 1970, 1972. Everybody was doing it. Um, I'm a big guy. I'm six foot tall. Paul was six foot two or four uh we got great big army surplus backpacks we filled them up with everything we stuck our thumbs out and nobody stopped to give us a ride because we were too damn big we wouldn't fit in their cars <laughs> and so finally a guy in a van stops and says you guys are crazy why aren't you riding freight trains 
and he might just as easily <laughs> has has suggested that we ride magic carpets. I mean, it wasn't something that we'd ever even considered. He had done it, and he gave us some pointers, dropped us off at a freight yard up in Southern Oregon. Half an hour later, we were on a flat car heading north, wind in our hair, sun in our backs. Fantastic. Fell in love with it at that point. Oh, yeah, completely. Now, I don't want to go into obviously, I want people to read the book themselves, but obviously, <laughs> I have to ask you about the two major characters, obviously, Lyndon Hoover and the Duke, mm -hmm. the Duke himself. Now, did you but were these kind of based on real people or the like amalgamation of people in hindsight? Yes, as as we discussed before we started, I think the best fiction is always at some level autobiographical. And so Lyndon is based largely on aspects of my life. Uh, he mm. did not know his father. I didn't know mine. He was he was abused as a kid. I was abused as a kid. Oh, yeah. um, the the Duke is an amalgam of these old guys, the, who the very last of their type, who were still clinging to this way of life. Freedom, wanderlust, they lived to be moving. They were never never more themselves than when they were on the go. I had, also, I, had a, I thought so, yeah. Yeah, so that's so. so that's who those that's who these guys are. Yeah, I thought so straight. That's what it's clear about people and make people aware of it. That's why it gives it the richness in the book straight away. Now, it's unusual this book because you had a lot of you had num quite a number of grayscale images coming in and out of the book, which I think it if it, it's one of those sort of things that either works or doesn't work, and it worked really well for me. So right. it give a different give it that sort of Back in those days, in contrast to nowadays, it is much more, I could argue, a grayscaled existence, really, you could argue. Mm. But what, why did, where did the idea for putting the images into the book come in? Because there was about 16 of them, isn't there, out the book? Yeah, yeah. The, the books that really formed me as a writer are American fiction from 100 years ago. So it's mm. Hemingway, it's Fitzgerald, it's uh, Steinbeck. A little later, I love, I love Steinbeck. Love Steinbeck, yeah. As as you can tell, there's influences in my work, and, and many of those novels were not graphic novels; they were fiction novels with illustrations. Mm. Uh, that was reasonably common a hundred years ago. My favorite among them was the 1930 Random House edition of Moby Dick, which was illustrated by Rockwell Kent. They were all woodcuts, and they're just magnificent. You can actually just look at the illustrations and not read a word of the story and understand mm. what's going on. So I decided I wanted to try to do that, to bring that back in this novel. I went online and uh, looked for someone who could emulate that style and found a fellow in the UK. Called oh, yeah, and, I, thought, I, noticed, I noticed it mentioned a UK artist. That's yeah, and it's sort of a happy accident. Uh, I described some scenes to him. He got back to me with an example that was just great. He's done 17 illustrations plus a couple of covers. It was only after that that I discovered he'd worked for the design uh from Hypnosis in London and done Dark Side of the Moon, done the covers for all of the albums we grew up with wow. as kids. Wow. He got out of the album business and now he does novel illustrations. So really special. He's a great guy and the illustrations are just wonderful. Oh, they're wonderful. Really, really are wonderful. They add something to the book. It gives it that sort of like that takes you back in time, definitely. I mean, they're really excellent stuff. Now, I want to ask next, and I told you about this before, because I can I saw the the beat illustration influences in this book to a degree as well as Hemingway and Steinbeck as well where you had like I loved it where you had the book itself obviously is full of chapter after chapter like all books are but you had them in between some of the chapters, chapters you're calling them tracks 
right. which is like I found it really. It was unusual, but I think it worked really well. So tell us about where the idea to come along. Obviously, you're doing chapters, man. You had tracks coming in, and they were like telling different, looking at things in different ways. It were. So what was the idea behind that then? Well, my approach originally was I wanted I saw these these hobos, these old professional <clears throat> hobos, as being almost uh, mythological characters, like American mythology or archetypes. Mm. And so I wanted to try to get to what's the What's the core of why these people do what they do? What's mm. their life like? What are the sacrifices they've made and what do they gain from it? And so they're, what, what are called the tracks are really a series of interviews between an unidentified interviewer and someone who is obviously an old professional hobo. Yeah, I got that. They're, I got that. Yeah, it works really, really well. Yeah, That's and, awesome. and, and the interviewer is asking the probing sort of questions that might not come up in the regular flow of the novel narrative. But it, it's, you know, <clears throat> what, have you, what have you sacrificed? What have you gained? What do you miss? And so it's a chance for um, the reader to enter that lifestyle in another way, to get another perspective on, you know, what's it mean to sacrifice your life to Wanderlust? What do you gain and what do you lose? Yeah, yeah it really works well that straight away with it. Was that a technique you had planned from the beginning of the book or did that come later on? It, it, I planned it from the beginning um, mm. and it was... If you've read, it's probably been a long time, but the Grapes of Wrath has mm. intercession chapters, yeah, has little, those... little pieces between the chapters. And I always found those a great way. It's, it was another perspective on the time and the place and another way to get a handle on what those characters are living through. So it's not directly part of the narrative, but it influences and informs it. And so I always liked that. Um, as, as a writer yourself, you appreciate this. I... Uh, I the book went through many editors. I worked ah, with a lot of editors. And, I was uh, I was wondering along those lines because it felt like it had gone through that sort of stage where I felt it had been wrote over years, and that probably explains yeah. why. So, and, and so I had an agent uh, working with an editor in Hollywood who was trying to put it together for a film. Oh, and that that, that oh. editor got rid of all of the track stuff. All went away, oh my God. And, it, and and so it got cut down, and the book's name actually got changed to The River of Steel. It was very short and tight, and it was just a thriller, basically. So I ended up really with two novels. I had The River of Steel, which was this short, tight thriller, mm. and then I had The Last Professional, which was more like the book I wanted to create. And I finally hooked up with a magnificent editor. Uh, I can't overstress the importance of a good editor. And we, we, we finished another large project together. And I said, you know, Zook, I've got these two books. I'd like to put them back together. And so that's what we did. We knit them back together into the book that you see now. Oh, no, yeah, it does. It feels like it is. It's, it's some books you can read. I'm sure you won't disagree with me. You can feel like it's a life's work. And when I was reading, I knew straight away it had been a life's work for you straight away. And it's like, you said, you said it yourself, it's gone for a number of editors where yes. I, mean, I think it probably was just... Do you think it was more in hindsight? more look and look. Sometimes a good judgment you found that editor you were after after going for somebody, but um, yes, not so you, great editors. And that's, that's the best way to put it to you for your book, right? Yeah, you've got. I think you've got to open yourself to the notion that there are different types of editors. Some are, are pretty good at telling you what doesn't work. 
but finding an editor that will tell you what does work and will help you see the things you didn't do but could have. That's the value. And um, yeah, so for anyone who's listening, who is a writer, find a good editor and once you do, hang on to them. Yeah, hang on to them by the neck. I yeah, don't let them go. Definitely, yeah. No, I agree. Agree with you. I also liked as well um, the, the use of the epigrams in the book as well. I thought that yeah. was incredibly striking. That was. Did that come straight from the beginning of the book as well? Did it? Uh, I actually added those later, and, ah. and, it, and it was a, an effort again to give the reader a different way to access this lifestyle. Uh, hobos were often poets. Um, they were storytellers. And so many of the epigrams are actual stanzas often from anonymous hobo poets and singers. And so it was a way to influence, you know, another way to look at what this life looked like and another way in for the reader. Right. Yeah. You can tell, like, like I said, I was on a heart of boy, I can see what you're getting on straight away with that. So, yeah, it does, it works really well. It's added that extra layer to it, really, didn't it? So, yeah, yeah. I can agree completely with that. Now, obviously, when the book was done, obviously, obviously, well, before you bought it, I know you did it, you've done the audio book version of it yourself as well, which yes. I think in some ways I find it quite unusual doing it yourself because usually, obviously, you get, you get, my wife's obviously done, she's had several books out on Audible because she's oh, a novelist. Yeah. She's a novelist as well. She's about seven novels. And um, she got people, other people to read out her novels for her. And most funnily, there's one more make you laugh. She bought a, zo a quite a violent zombie novel out. And okay. she ended up with, uh, we think it was a 15-year-old girl actually reading out the, <laughs> in the actual audio version of it. And we, we oh, guessed wow. We guess she must have got permission of a parent to all the bad language and the violence that was in it. <laughs> but was it always planned for yourself, Ed, obviously, like, to do the audio audio version of it yourself, and was it? Not at all. Um, ah. I, I do like to read. I mean, as I said earlier, one mm. of the reasons I write is I like to share, and I like to read my work to other people. Uh, I'm a backpacker. Uh, I backpack here in the Sierra Nevadas every summer when I can. And mm. I'll often take a work in process and around the campfire at night, uh, read a chapter or read a short story. And so I, it's, I, have a, I have a reasonably good reading voice and I know the material. And as it, as it happened, I knew the engineer and the recording studio very well because I've been in a music group for about 30 years and they did a CD for wow. us. Wow. So I trust I trusted them. And uh, over a three day period, we recorded it. It was a really singular experience. Yeah, I think it would, it's, does the best structure I've heard is you've got a very, very rich voice. People can hear that from talking to you today. You've got a really good voice, and when you heard the audiobook version. Yeah, it's excellent, really is excellent yeah. on it. So, thank what, you straight away with that. So, I could see you straight away reading that. But I haven't got, I haven't come across many people that do it actually. The only, one I've, the only one I've heard that does it is News and Neil Gaiman, but again, mm -hmm. he's absolutely just gigantic. Oh, so, absolutely, yeah, yeah <laughs> he can ready. do anything, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he does, right? So, with that one straight away, Neil, if you're hearing yeah. this, come on, we've spoken every yeah. ways, right? <laughs> oh, he'll, he'll be glad to talk to you, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Now, obviously, um, I said for um, also as well, obviously, in promotion with the books, the book came out a couple, what, a couple of months ago, really. Now, I know you did a tour back in April, didn't you, back in 2022 yeah. on this, and it looks like you were out on tour for a pretty well for a month, so. Tell us about that experience. Well, it, it's writers used to be able to do tours. It was a thing that happened. 
uh, you'd get a publisher behind you, they'd sponsor it, and you'd go on the road for weeks or, or months or more. That's almost a thing of the past now, unless you're a Neil Gaiman or a John Irving or you know a Stephen King, uh, if he'll do it. They're too expensive and they're too hard to coordinate. I wanted to do it anyway. And I wanted to do as much of it by train as possible because the setting for the novel is the rails. And so over the span of a month, covered about 7,500 miles, 20 odd cities, um, lots of events, wherever possible in smaller out of the way towns that didn't don't often see an author. And so that was good to be able to support local bookstores, to meet people at that level. And it, it was just a great deal of fun. It was exhausting, but Sounds it was it. really fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know I'm always out reading myself to people. You know, I've had some performance performing poetry. And it's, I just yes. love, just love getting on stage and delivering stuff to audiences. And it's like you said, for you, you with your reading voice, Ed, it's brilliant. I could well imagine you hypnotizing people straight away. With it, so. <laughs> did well, you I, have a, Did you have any? I'm not going to ask. What was your favorite gig reading of the month? Was there? Think, what's the most unusual then? That's that's to go better answer. Okay, well, let's see. the The favorite was in a town called Galesburg, Illinois. It's in. It's not far from Chicago. It's an mm. old Rust Belt town that had wow. very heavy manufacturing. And most of the manufacturing's left, but there are a hundred trains a day that go through Galesburg. And wow. the woman who runs the, the, the Wordsmith Bookshop is the name of the store, reasonably new. She was from Galesburg, but had worked in Chicago and wanted to help revitalize the downtown. So she opened a bookstore in this downtown old, you know, yeah. And so, so many people were familiar with the rails and had worked for the railroad that they, they did a great story in the newspaper. They did a great interview on the radio station, a wonderful turnout in this story, wow. in this store. And most of the folks had a background with the rails. Um, it And my favorite exchange was an old couple, probably in their 80s. He had worked for the railroads most of his life. She had fed hobos from her back door. Um, they they basically came early, stayed late, and when they got up to leave, they came up and took my hand and said, now, Ed, the next time you're in town, you come stay with us. Oh, and wow. so that's just as special as it gets. Oh, my God, yeah, completely. It's, I, think it's, I think sometimes you're doing that sort of thing. I found this when, we, when I go out reading my poetry books sometimes. Is, is you've got more memories of actually afterwards of actually yes. going out and tour and reading out the natural writing the book sometimes. That's why. So and it yeah. does it it does mean a lot of straight away. Now, wrapping up now, so now because I want to give you a chance to read an extract of your book for us. Sure. But a couple of questions to wrap up with. So I know you've said that you're obviously working on other manuscripts at the moment, I'm presuming. Right. So oh, yes. what plans do you have going forward for your creativity? Well, the, the 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 great editor that I came together with that I told you about, he and I finished three years ago a book called Four in Stone, which is a lot like Steinbeck's East of Eden in, in terms of the same type of book. Mm -hmm. And we're now in the process of working on the sequel to it. Uh, we also finished a collection of short stories, about 16 short stories, all that take place in a small Northern California town. Oh, brilliant, yeah. brilliant. So, so I'm brilliant. deeply immersed in that. 
Yeah. Brilliant. Now, obviously, I'm going to ask you then, obviously, very general in this one, because I've not, I've not read either of these other two books. But in relation to these short stories, one coming up, man, because I always find writing in short stories and novels is a completely different medium. Yes. So how has that been for yourself, so then? Well, it's, it's an entirely different discipline. Um, in some ways, it's more fun because you're constrained by the length. Um, in, in, if you want to get a short story published, it can't be much longer than 3,500 words. And so whatever story you're going to tell, you have to do in that length of time. Unlike with a novel, you can relax. You can sort of breathe your way into it. Uh, you can take your time. So I like that. Uh, it really requires an economy of language. Uh, Hemingway is a great guide for that. It's yeah, essentially okay. you know, really why you wh why use 50 words when five will do. It's, uh, I'm like another poetry where I often believe why write a 20 line poem I can do it in four and I do <laughs> so I know exactly what you mean there with that. Exactly, so. exactly so. Brilliant. Do you have any ideas when these two books are going to be coming out yet and all that? What should be looking for an eight looking for an agent right now. Uh, I've been, I first started writing, trying to write professionally in the 1980s. Mm. And I had an agent, it was an entirely different landscape then. You know, there were still traditional publishers and lots mm. of them. It was reasonably easy to get an agent. That's entirely different now. Um, so I'm looking hard to get an agent so we can hopefully find a home in one of the big five publishing houses for this series of books. Well, good luck. Keep us informed, okay? Definitely on that one, mate. So, love <laughs> to have you on again to talk about that book, definitely. So, now, we'll let, you do, we'll let you do the item as the hard sell now. <laughs> so, okay. Oh. If people want to get hold of the book, where do you recommend they go? Anywhere books are sold, of course. Uh, but for your readers, uh, your listeners, Amazon's probably the easiest. Um, I think there is a UK version of bookshop.org. I believe there is, or one in the EU. And I really try to support them. Uh, sales made through them benefit local booksellers, which I think is quite important. So if you can go to bookshop.org or Bookshop UK, you can order it there. Of course, you can get it in any flavor from Amazon. Um, Amazon, all of us who are writers have a love-hate relationship with Amazon. It makes it oh, easy for our work to. to get out there. But Lord, they're just, they've changed the landscape in publishing so much and not always in a good way. Yeah, and no, I do agree with you completely with that. And you've also got your own website as well, haven't you, where people want to come and read up on you about your own website. Yes. So, where's your website? I'll let you tell people. Yes. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> www.eddavisbooks.com. And uh, that's eddavisbooks.com. And there's a lot of good information there. The blog has a lot of coverage about uh, sort of, section by section of the book tour which is quite fun it's a sort of an interesting way to explore the country since i did most of it on the on trains um what we do we like typing them on your phone were you then on the train or is it like a tablet oh I, I was writing the whole time yeah oh, absolutely yeah, yeah yeah definitely brilliant okay what we'll do mate we'll wrap up this bit for you now mate so i want to get you to do a bit of reading for us so it's been a pleasure sure. today i've really enjoyed this it's been fantastic fun mate so oh, yeah was, really fun wish we're back in Two shakes of the dice, guys. Come back, definitely, please. <laughs> okay, so you right. like me to read us? Read us. Oh, next. hang on, Ed. One sec. I've got to start. I'll pause the podcast for you. <laughs> okay, good, 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 one good. Sec. We'll see you in a minute, guys. Seriously. Spoken, mate. Hi, guys. Yes, Andy N. Fantastic, Ed Davis. My time for a break now. Straight over to Ed, and he's basically going to read out a short extract from his book. Over to you, mate. 
All right. And I want to read the beginning because it has a few of the pieces we've talked about. Uh, the book begins with two quotes. The first is, brother, have you seen starlight on the rails? Have you heard the thunder of the fast express? That one's from Thomas Wolfe, who was a guy who just loved trains. And the second um, is one that you'll probably recognize. It's not all those who wonder are lost. And that's from J.R.R. Tolkien, of course. Each chapter, as we discussed, begins with an epigraph. And here's the first one. So pay attention now, my children, and the old story I will tell about the jungles and the freight trains and a breed of men who fell. It's by a fellow named Virginia Slim. We don't know anything else about him. Here's how the book starts. Until the railroad arrived virtually at their doorsteps, most people lived within a day's walk of where they were born. America was smaller. Horizons meant something. The span of a life was measured out in strides. A desire for more, a restlessness of the soul, always lay in wait. It was a gnawing in the gut that comfort would abate for most and conformity could subdue for others. Yet in the hearts of some, the compulsion to wander was so irresistible that they had no choice but to follow. On horseback, on a raft, or on the last of their shoe leather, they would eventually leave everything they knew, seek solace in movement, and go in search of themselves. These pilgrims who longed for a different path found that a river of steel had burst to life at their feet. Surging from the midst of the sprawling cities to the smallest hamlets, its tributaries traversed defiant mountain ranges, spanned impossibly vast prairies, and linked the remotest reaches of the, of the country. Hobos, these pilgrims were called, phantoms of the road, and except to one another, they had no names. The river of steel still flows through the land, but it's a changed land and a changed river. Its tributaries no longer reach into every corner. Its currents are no longer inviting. The hobos that once were are no more, having caught the westbound long ago. At the time of this tale, late in the last century, their golden age was a distant memory, their legacy known to but a dwindling few. That's how the book begins. That is such a great beginning to the book. I think it's so what, what you're very, very good at, Edward, the book is it's world building and doing what you've done there, I think really sets the scene really, really well with it. That's Thank why. You. So, yeah, I'd recommend the books. Like, it was one of the most vivid books I've read this year, without doubt on it. So, right. now, I've got to ask you, obviously, we talked a little bit about this before, and if people look at the back of you there, they can see a picture of Jack Kerouac <laughs> as well. Now, I've got to ask you just generally here, so what's your favourite Kerouac book? Then? Uh, favourite Kerouac book is The Dharma Bums. Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I, I have a, a, a quick Kerouac story to tell. Oh, so yes. when, I, when I was describing to you trying to hitchhike across the country, the first night we mm. didn't get any rides. We ended up sleeping, my friend and I, under a bridge up north of here under by the Russian River. So fast <clears throat> forward a month or so, I'm working as a kitchen porter at the Isle of Mall, Tobermory Inn or something like that. And somebody gives me a book. It's the Dharma Bums. I'd never read any Kerouac before, and I'm reading it in the second or third chapter in, he sleeps under exactly the same bridge that oh, Paul wow. left under, which was pretty cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. Like, yeah. yeah. He's one yeah. of these sort of guys, I think, I think if you had met him in real life, you might have thought he was just, just ordinary, wasn't he? But he's, he's yeah. somehow managed to make an impact to people's lives, didn't he? And like the impact in the 60s, everyone is taking off. It's 
it changed yeah. society really so in a really astonishing way so very very much and, and and sort of a tragic character um if you've studied his life at all yeah, he um, it, yeah he yeah he was a magnificent writer and only is now getting credit for having essentially created a new form but what people were taking away from it was party 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 mm. be wild live wild all the time and they expected him to be that mm. guy and, and he wasn't um and it kind it kind of drove him uh, essentially to an early grave yeah but, definitely like his drinking got out of hand that's a short one, i read it straight away and it was like yeah. Tommy got to you think really scared. Tommy got like 62 or something. Then what five years after he hit the he, he went massive on, on the road, he was washed yeah. up basically. And I think it was one of these yeah. sort of people where like you're right, he couldn't take the fame. And it's you yeah. think nowadays everyone's probably preconditioned to it more. It's just very unusual. Yeah, I, I don't know. And, and speaking of autobiographical work, he, his work is all essentially one long story. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's all him and his observations of the people and the times and the country. I loved his relationship with the landscape. Oh, and, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. That's yeah. the part that speaks to me best. Yeah, I'm doing a lot of writing, a lot of haikus at the moment. I've been, I love his poems, he calls them. And oh, yes. Really, yeah, really bright oh. stuff, here, but it's like, it, when I was at uni, like I said, 20 odd years ago, now, it made me look at poetry in a very different way. I yeah, couldn't hope yeah. to write in that style because it was just oh. of the time and it's his voice is totally different to what my experience are in England. Oh, brilliant stuff. So but anyway, oh, listen, yeah. we better get back to you, mate. Anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're probably coming chatting off a bit off mic and about other pieces and stuff, but we'll let you wrap right. up here again anyway, mate. So it's been a pleasure, mate. So keep in touch. I would love to have you on again when the next book comes out, probably the hopefully the short story one. So I can ask you all these detailed questions about how his experiences are different from one book to another. Awesome. So well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I can't thank you enough for having me on. It's been a blast, mate. So keep in touch now. Anyway, guys and girls, as Don Callis over at Impact Wrestling says, stay safe and stay over. And we will see you all next time. Spoken, mate.